Hello and welcome to the In Publishing podcast. My name is James Evely and I'm the editor of In Publishing. Our guest this time is Daniel Pierce, CEO of TTG Media, a company that was named PPA Independent Publishing Company of the Year in 2019. TTG operates in the travel sector, which has been particularly badly hit by the pandemic. Daniel tells us about his resolve to weather the storm. This crisis is the defining moment for our business um, and for the way that we do business. Uh, And as a result of that, we will emerge from this crisis stronger. About how being an independent publisher has helped them get through this difficult period. You know, I'm an absolutely passionate believer in the power that uh, being an independent publisher gives you uh, and the freedom of that. There's quite a few decisions that that I've made and that that my senior team have made over the past year that would have been difficult decisions going through a a corporate business like the one I used to work for many years ago. And why publishers should not be too timid when they decide to put up a paywall. If you're going to do this and you've got to believe in your content and your package and and believe that it is the best in the business and, and don't be too timid in where you place that paywall. Don't give away too much free content before you get to that paywall Otherwise, kind of, what's the point? Amongst many other things in a wide-ranging interview. But first, a quick word about our valued sponsors. We would like to thank our podcast sponsor, Advantage CS, a leading global provider of subscription and membership management software. Capabilities include marketing, sales, payments, and customer relationship software for publishers, membership associations, and information providers. For more information, go to advantagecs.com. Daniel Pierce is CEO of TTG Media, a B2B publisher specialising in the travel sector. TTG was previously published by UBM, but Daniel led a management buyout back in 2013. As an independent publisher, he has since said, you have the flexibility you need to crack on and do stuff. This freedom of movement has presumably never been so welcome as in the past 12 months. Daniel, welcome to the In Publishing podcast. Thank you, James. It's great to be here. Now, it was obvious fairly early on that the travel sector would be one of those sectors which would be particularly badly hit by the pandemic. Can you give us an insight into what the atmosphere was like in your offices um, back in February, March of last year? Yeah, well, I guess we got uh, an early indication of what was happening in early February, um, looking back. And that was a time when some of our our advertisers uh, from the Far East, so tourist boards, um, resort operators, uh, and some of their partners in that part of the world started pulling activity. Uh, And at that time, you know, it slowly started dawning on us that, uh, you know, what was for so many of us, you know, just a a big news story, but one on the other side of the world. It slowly started dawning on us that this was going to impact us over here and the way that we do business. Um, so quite early on in the uh, in that uh, period, you know, we, we set out a strategy there to do the very best that we could for the industry um, and, and to evolve our own business along the way, to, to campaign for our market. Uh, and really just to, to do the very best job that we could just to support uh, the travel industry. And you know, that's a, a strategy that then played itself out um, over the subsequent months uh, and resulted in you know, a lot of change for the business and, and in some respects, positive change. Uh, and what was the mood like? I mean, d- did people freak out? Did they, were they running around like headless chickens or did they, <laughs> was everyone very composed? Looking back, I think everyone was was composed, and um, I, I wouldn't say at all that TTG is uh, akin to the Titanic, but it was for a little time, uh, and I'm sure, like it was in most businesses, there was that sense of just rearranging deck chairs, uh, you know, while the storm while the storm came in. You know, looking back, we were remarkably calm, I think, and I, I remember going through the processes. It was March by then of uh, working out how we were going to cooperate at home. And, uh, you know, which uh, which video platform we were going to use. You know, we started with Google Hangouts and quickly moved to, to Zoom. Um, but then, yes, while we were in the office, I remember, you know, when those daily, those dreadful daily press conferences started coming in with the prime minister, 
you know, that phase when everyone was gathered around the, the TV in the office at five o'clock uh, and listening to the latest developments. Um, and for us at that time, we did have a quite a significant event that we had planned to take place in Birmingham uh, in late March. Um, and I remember that the, the final announcement where effectively the prime minister wanted to send everybody home, you know, came just a week before that event. And it, if I'm honest, it really wasn't until that day itself that we, we really realized, uh, you know, just how much this was going to impact on us. Um, TTG took on a, a, something of a campaigning role, I believe, with your hashtag save travel campaign. What did the campaign try to do uh, and what do you think it achieved? Yes, well, as I say, that was a big part of our, our strategy that we formulated early on, you know, to support the industry, to stand up and campaign for the industry and, and also to evolve our own business. Uh, but yeah, campaigning was a key part of that. So quite early on, um, led by our editor, Sophie Griffiths, and our, our group editor, Pippa Jacks, uh, we set out plans uh, around the Save Travel campaign. Um, and this was really aimed at uh, lobbying for sector-specific support for our travel community. Um, you know, a, a lot of people don't really understand that, that the unique pressures that the travel industry has been on over the past 12 months. Unfortunately, I think that extends to the government. So we, we've still not really seen how much they, the government understands it. But, um, but for travel, for travel agents and for, for travel companies, you know, not only did the pandemic result in them losing business um, and obviously cancelling business uh, that was booked uh, last year, you know, while the pandemic was going on, it resulted in them effectively uh, having to cancel and refund all the business that they'd done in the months before the crisis started. So it was a really, you know, and it still is a kind of unique set of pressures on people in the travel industry. And we felt very strongly, you know, as did our community uh, and the senior leaders that we worked with at the start of this campaign. You know, we felt very strongly that uh, the government needed to recognise that and needed to put in place some sector specific support for for travel companies, uh, for companies in, in aviation, you know, which has been very well documented in national media. Um, and that was what we lobbied for. And, and really that campaign took shape, um, not right at the start of the, the crisis, but more in May, June time, uh, and resulted in us um, lobbying for all of our community to um, write a letter to Grant Shapps and Rishi Sunak. Um, and that was delivered uh, in late summer uh, by some of the senior leaders in travel, some of our senior team uh, to Parliament. Um, and, you know, there is, um, without being um, overly sort of optimistic around it, you know, there, there has been a sea change, I think, around the government's attitude towards the travel industry. Uh, and without going into too much detail of the minutiae of travel, um, before Christmas, uh, there was a government global travel task force that was set up to to plan uh, the management of travel during the crisis, uh, and that was quickly disbanded. And, and actually, that task force had no members of the travel industry involved. It's been quite encouraging this year. There's been a new task force which, which has listened to more of the concerns of the industry. Uh, and actually, as we speak, they are due to report within the next couple of weeks, and we will see um, just how much uh, the government has listened to the travel industry. Um, if I can add, if I can add just something else on campaigning, in actual fact, I could talk for half an hour about campaigning, but it's probably not a good idea. But one of the things that we did right at the outset, um, before we even got to save travel, and which I think is a is a quite in, quite of interest in publishing, is we did something um, something quite unique, I think, in that we reached out to our competitors. You know, we we realised back at the beginning of April just how under siege the travel industry was. Uh, so we reached out to every one of our travel media competitors uh, to run a joint campaign um, whereby we would all agree to promote the, the positive stories, the, the, the stories that uh, our community could learn positive things from. And we would promote each other's positive stories, uh, particularly in social media, uh, but also uh, through some, some, some other means, particularly in the magazines. Um, and we would actually promote each other's content in order for the greater good to, to show we were standing up for our industry. Uh, and, and almost all the travel trade 
media came in on that. There were eight titles um, apart from one. Um, and uh, that was a very positive exercise, I think, um, that was widely recognized at the time. And that was called One Travel Industry. Uh, and still to this day, if you look at that hashtag um, across social media, you see, you see that, that hashtag reverberating. And that was about the media just simply showing its support you know, for uh, an industry under siege. And in terms of what you would have, what you want the government to do, are there any key things which you would like them to do, which they're not doing at the moment? Uh, well, a, a great deal. It's it's quite a key point this around this sector specific support. Um, and um, I mean, I, I could go into all the details, but but uh, that, that went into the second petition that we did later last year. But it's it simply that recognition that that these companies that um, have not only had their businesses stopped but have had to to refund the consumer as well. And in some ways, you know, they haven't necessarily done that uh, brilliantly. And we know that travel companies have had a a pretty bad rap, you know, uh, overall. And in some respects, some of them, unfortunately, haven't uh, treated their customers as well as they should have done. Um, But it's ensuring, you know, what we need to see is, is more government support for this specific industry, financial support that will help this industry trade through and get back to, um, you know, doing the stuff it does so well and without being too cliched about it. You know, we always talk about travel people selling dreams and, uh, you know, as a media business, it's, it's our aim to help them do that. And, and as, as you look back over the, the past year, I mean, obviously COVID, well, I, I'm assuming COVID ha- has has hit revenues to a certain extent. Um, but to what is there any extent that COVID has actually been good for business? You know, when you come out of it, will you look back on positive aspects which will you will continue post-COVID? Yeah, I, I guess there's a couple of answers to that. You know, one is around mindset uh, and the other is around the very real changes that we've made to the business that in some respects perhaps have, have hastened um, change uh, in a way that may not have happened without the, um, without the pandemic. In terms of our mindsets, um, you know, I, I think it's those companies that uh, have performed strongly through this period, um, you know, will emerge from the COVID crisis enhanced, stronger uh, and believing more in themselves. Um, you know, and I'm, I've become uh, partly through necessity, um, I, I've become a, a, a believer in the stoic philosophy, actually, and uh, the importance uh, for all of us of uh, of believing that uh, we will prevail through the crisis, the importance of believing that, um, you know, this crisis is the defining moment for our business um, and for the way that we do business. Uh, and that as a result of that, um, you know, we will emerge from this crisis stronger. And I think that's a really important, um, you know, way of looking at things, which um, I, I I believe um, that my team shares now, you know, we talked a lot about this stuff and I, they're also a bit bored of me quoting um, Winston Churchill in our in our team updates, um, just because um, I spent a long time, you know, reading inspirational biographies during this period as well, you know, to give, give me and to help give the company the, the strength to get through. So, so on the one hand, that mindset piece, um, you know, we are emerging as, as a stronger business. And, uh, you know, you, I think a lot of businesses will feel, hey, you know, you get through this and uh, we'll get through anything. Um, so you look forward with excitement um, to the next steps. I think the second half of that question is how we have evolved. Um, going back to our our strategy around supporting, campaigning and, and evolving internally, getting through the pandemic. You know, we really have evolved. And if, if I think now, even a year ago, um, where we were as a business uh, going into this, uh, we, we believed passionately in print publishing as part of our overall mix of, uh, of the website and many, many events. Uh, and we were still publishing TTG, uh, the Travel Trade Gazette, um, as a weekly magazine. You know, and I, I was very proud of telling anyone I met that, you know, that we're we had published the Travel Trade Gazette virtually every week since uh, March 1953. And uh, we did that because there was still a strong market for it. It wasn't some sort of vanity exercise. Um, And whenever we researched it with our market, and the last time we did that 
was at the beginning of 2019. The market told us they wanted the print magazine um, and it was well supported by our advertisers uh, and by, by our community. So at the beginning of this, we were, we were publishing the, 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 uh, the weekly magazine. And going through the crisis quite early on, we took that print magazine digital only. So we, we published it as a weekly digital magazine uh, from March to July. Um, and we stopped printing in paper. We, we stopped, um, you know, that, that whole side simply to save, save costs. You know, I wouldn't put any bones about that. You know, it meant we could save a very significant amount of money at a time when our market had collapsed. And as a controlled circulation title, um, you know, we, we, we were able to do that without upsetting our, our subscribers um, as, a, as a free title. Um, we, when we got to the summer, as we do every summer, actually, we, because it's such a slow time for the travel market, we took that digital weekly magazine fortnightly, um, but then made plans to, to bring the magazine back in print uh, from September as a monthly and that was a that was a big step for us after what was uh, 67 years of publishing weekly um, and uh, we brought effectively the same magazine back as a, as a as a print monthly in september and that was reasonably well supported by our market you know there have been many ups and downs on the roller coaster um over the past year and uh, you know that, that was quite a good time for us to for us to come back although then as we know, we were, we were, the country was quickly in that period hit by the second wave and, and the ups and downs of the autumn and, and the winter. Um, but I also took a, took a firm decision then that we weren't just going, going to go into monthly magazine publishing um, half-heartedly. Um, it was very clear that during the pandemic and during those opening weeks and months, that there wasn't really a place for weekly magazine publishing in our sector anymore or certainly not for me and for the way that the way that we do business the pace of change the pace of news the pace of information was so much that um you know that weekly magazine had kind of lost some of its uh, validity um so you know we then having believed passionately in the weekly we um moved into um monthly publishing and believing that if we were going to publish monthly we were going to make this the market leading monthly magazine and we did some development work it was an investment actually with um, an external design agency that we've worked with in the past called Oliver and Grains uh, based down in Brighton guys that, that, that were steeped in the travel industry that know us very well but we made that external investment quite a bold investment in the middle of all this to uh, to repackage that that monthly title on um, as a true monthly a, a perfect bound magazine Heavy, heavy quality paper stock, um, obviously lots of thought into how editorially a monthly magazine differs from more of a newsy weekly magazine. And we carried out that development work really in October and November um, ahead of um, launching as, a, as the Perfect Bounds, uh, very nice looking monthly magazine from the January edition, um, which we did. So, that, you know, that was quite a transition. Um, and whilst for our market, you know, it continues to have its ups and downs, which people will read in the, in the national media. Um, you know, the magazine has been very consistent now and has been quite consistently well supported since uh, the beginning of 2021. Um, so, yeah, quite a transition there from weekly to, to monthly publishing. And, and without going into too much detail, but quite an important part of that as well was um, was looking at our circulation. As I mentioned, um, you know, as a controlled circulation title, ABC audited, um, you know, without any bones on it, you know, our market um, collapsed and, and there were plenty of changes within the market. So another investment that we made at the height of the crisis um, was in our circulation and was in a quite a heavy, heavy, heavyweight telemarketing campaign that we ran in October and November. So really getting that circulation up to date and fit uh, for the new world. For, for January. Um, so was that circulation um, still controlled, free, or paid for? Yeah, yeah, no, it's still controlled, uh, still controlled, free. And um, we have made changes in other areas of the business that I'll, I'll, I'll come on to, and other strategic changes. So that was really the the um, 
the changes on the on the print side. Um, I can talk a little bit about events, and I know um, you know anyone listening to this podcast will, will have been through a similar transition um, last year, um, particularly in B two B media. I think around transforming um, you know, live events to online events or, or launching new online events. You know, we we went through that transition right from the end of March last year. We launched um, our first half day seminar. Um, we quickly moved into launching lots and lots of, of online events. And, and looking back, I'm I'm amazed at just how, how significant our output was. You know, I think between when I added it up, you know, recently, you know, between March last year and January this year, we, we did something in the region of between 70 and 80 different online events, you know, large and small. Um, so and we, were, and were we, those events um, typically webinars or conferences or awards? What 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 was the spread? It was um, it was it was quite a spread actually. Um, so um, our strongest performing online events were typically half day seminars, editorially led that we ran from two pm to five pm, with live elements, live Q and As, you know, which we thought were, were were really important. And I think that's important for anyone running running online events. I think you know they need that live element to make them current and to make them interactive rather than a, a kind of passive experience. Um, so there were seminars. We, we did a, a number of what we call digital destinations festivals, working with tourist boards um, on promoting themselves to our market. They were all very, very keen to keep interest in their destinations alive, you know, ranging from Visit Florida to, to Tourism Australia and, and many other many other tourist boards that we worked with. Um, we also did many face-to-face interviews face-to-face online obviously um we ran a regular diary video diary feature called one week at a time that we ran with with travel agents um and yeah last summer we ran a series of restart travel uh, events which um unfortunately didn't really herald the restart of travel but we gave it our best shot good intentions uh, good intentions uh and some quite niche events in luxury travel as well. So in, in the good times, we run uh, live events called Luxpo, which are all about facilitating one-to-one meetings between luxury agents and luxury travel suppliers. Uh, and we took that format very successfully online. We ran a major luxury travel conference curated by our, our brilliant editor of TTG Luxury magazine, April Hutchinson, in October. Um, and yeah, so they they varied of all, all shapes and sizes, really. So um, I imagine your learning well, curve has been steep because I imagine a lot of these things you weren't doing before. But yeah, what do you say yeah. have been the key learnings? So if you kind of take an event which, let's say, you, you ran towards the end of the year and compare it with one of your early ones, how would yeah. they be different? So I guess our our key one of our key learnings um, was uh, to, to invest in uh, an online platform. You know, we started like uh, a number of companies, I think, working with Facebook Live, for example, and we'd run a series of Facebook Live events before the pandemic um, and moved into the pandemic using Zoom as our platform. But it soon became really apparent that we needed to to invest in a bespoke uh, online event platform that offered us real standout from our competitors and from the huge plethora of online events that suddenly came up. So we worked work with a U.S. partner that was um, has been really good for us, actually. And, and actually choosing that partner, um, what was most important was the customer service that they gave us and the support they gave um, they gave the business. Uh, and that's been a, a key part of that development in online events um, over the past few months. You also mentioned that what sort of uh, events work best online and uh you know, we, we in in the good times we run three sort of major awards ceremonies a year. Um, our we do the top fifty travel agencies program. We do the TTG Luxury Travel Awards, um, and up until twenty nineteen we did the TTG Travel Awards, um, which we're actually um, relaunch in the process of relaunching right right now as a as a new event. Um, but I, I would argue that um, awards are kind of the one live event that works less effectively um, online. I think awards aren't supposed to be um, online, really. Um, but having said that, we we have 
just recently, actually, a couple of weeks ago, uh, I'm really proud of what we achieved with one of our awards programs. So we run, as I mentioned, the TTG Top 50 Travel Agencies. We've been running that since 2016. It kind of does what it says on the tin and that it sets out to, to find, scour the country and find the, the 50 best travel agents in the country. Um, we we um, launched that event last awesome and uh, went through quite a transition there, actually, because uh, when we launched it, we still thought we had an opportunity to put a live event on this March, um, but we didn't know. And we were very honest and transparent with our readers and our community, you know, which I think has been important throughout this. And um, we, we said, you know, it'll either be uh, live at the Vox Centre in Birmingham or live from the comfort of your own home. Um, and as things unfolded, um, we don't need to go into the history, but it soon became very apparent that that uh, awards ceremony would have to take place online and it did so on March the 19th. We worked on our bespoke platform and um, we did something which um, which I'm really proud of actually you know we we, we uh, again and I think it's a familiar theme here um, you know we invested a considerable amount of money in this online event we, we didn't do it on the cheap uh, we worked with the same partner that we worked with on our uh, our live awards to create um, a, quite an original um, online awards program, which was a mix of pre-filmed presentations uh, that took place in a in a film studio in Camberwell and were run as live. Uh, and then we did something really special on the day. We had uh, some live elements where we uh, we zoomed in, uh, so to speak. Um, we zoomed in to some of our finalists uh, who joined us during the live presentation. Um, and then we realized um, when we before the day that we had a kind of happy circumstance in that the UK's number one, the UK and Ireland's number one travel agent uh, was actually in Wimbledon, uh, about 20 minutes drive from where I live and about 10 minutes walk from where our, our contributing editor, Abby Healy, lives. Um, so we thought, you know, how much fun this would be if we could ensure that their team were watching the live awards ceremony from their agency. How much fun would it be if uh, just when they were announced during the, the virtual ceremony, we appeared at their at their door for a live a bit of video feed? Uh, and, and remarkably, that that worked, um, and that all, that all came <laughs> off. That all came off really nicely. If any if anyone looks at my uh, LinkedIn, um, you'll see a really popular post there that I posted when we turned up to present this live award. So people talk about hybrid events and that, that being a big part of the future of events and in a small way I think that's what we achieved on, on March on March the nineteenth. I think that it sounds was, very brave because I can imagine the potential for disaster was quite high. Uh, yes, we were lucky that they were there in their in their agency watching it on their, their big screen. Uh, we were lucky for all sorts of reasons, for the tech, which, which was going through my phone as we videoed ourselves at the, at the door, going off to the live ceremony. But it, but the ceremony was um, was kind of being hosted, or, or the voiceover was Alan Dedicote, who I'm sure many know is the voice of Strictly. So having that, having that again, that investment in that really professional voiceover that, that kept the whole thing together. You know, we had one or two live hiccups, but having that really professional element to it really helped us um, helped us get through the day and that, that, that was a, a definitely one of the standout moments for our for TTG's lockdown experience. Sounds great. Sounds great. Yeah. Now, yeah. Last autumn, um, it sounds like a busy autumn, by the way, you had, um, you yeah. unveiled um, TTG Plus, which I believe is a new membership offering. Um, can you talk yes. us through the, the thinking behind that? Yeah, absolutely. And, um, you know, in, in a sense, um, there's nothing original around the thinking here and it's part of the... Um, the, the publishing trends that, that so many people will be familiar with. Um, but yeah, we, we set out some plans um, a couple of years ago, actually, working with our online partner um, to transition from what had been an entirely free open access platform, our website, tdgmedia.com, to becoming more of a, a membership business first through requiring readers to, to register for the site before reading, and then transitioning uh, into uh, a paid-for membership membership business. Uh, you know, and, and you know, I, I, I haven't made any, any bones about that. You know, our, our publishing model um, was, um, you know, 
getting outdated, you know, in, in the 21st century um, as a, a controlled circulation magazine, as an open access website. And, you know, if, if I'm honest, too much of our, our revenue was, um, you know, was, was inconsistent. Um, and we needed to create that recurring revenue piece. Um, and I say that, and, and this was a plan that we put ahead, put in place uh, ahead of the, the pandemic. Um, of course, the pandemic struck and our um, advertiser revenue collapsed. Um, and it was a time for us to consider, you know, w w how to bring our membership proposition forward, because um, it's something that we had been working towards uh, this year in 2021. But um, it seemed important to bring that in. Um, you know, for the for the business, um, but but also because what we were doing at the time, uh, and I think has been has been widely recognised in our industry, is the incredible job that our our team has done. Um, you know, across the team to support our industry uh, absolutely tirelessly, um, and you know that 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 widely recognised you know brilliant job that we've done. Um, I think it gave us a license just to just to start talking about our paid for membership and um, and actually, you know, not to be embarrassed about the fact that what we do and the content, the award winning content that, that we produce does have a value, does have a value. You know, and, and, and that that is a challenge in a market where we have a number of free free content competitors, you know, and we still do to this day. Um, but um, we, you know, we were quite bold with that move and with that plan towards that, you know, which really last June, July, August, we were planning for our September launch of TTG Plus. Um, and it was extremely important to us not to just wake up one day and switch on a paywall and say, hey, there you go. Now you've got to pay this. Um, we put a lot of development time into developing all the benefits that came from being a member of TTG Plus. And uh, you know, without going, spending too long going through it, um, you know, those those benefits, you know, we, we think they're quite special and we think they, they really do support our market. And we really do think that they're, they're uh, a really strong value. So we, we do things like um, we, we created a, a supplies directory live, we call it, which is a which is a supplies directory, which is updated virtually every day. With key names and contacts that people in our market will need um, and of course there's been a lot of change a lot of changes of personnel in our market so we put a lot of work into into making that making that work we we produced something called the travel agent tracker uh, which we launched last april at the height of the the phase one of the crisis if you like and that's a fortnightly research piece where we we uh, we survey our markets and we report on how sales are, how inquiries are, what, what destinations uh, are of interest, what prices people are achieving. Uh, so all our members get access to that report. Um, all our members get access to, to our online content-led events, and um, often they include exclusive research or interviews with government ministers, um, such as Nigel Huddleston, the tourism minister, or Robert Courts, the aviation and maritime minister. Um, and the fourth element of that package is our archive. Um, so this had been a personal project of mine for some time, actually, well, for, for years, quite honestly, but um, right back to when UBM owns TTG, you know, we had these um, musty old leather-bound volumes that contained every edition of the Travel Trade Gazette, Gazette going back to March 1953, an absolute treasure trove of information, history of travel, history of advertising as well, which is often one of the most most interesting things in the old volume but it, it just sat there in in leather bound volumes and, and it wasn't easy to read them so i'd had this plan for years to to digitize the whole archive um we actually set that in motion pre-pandemic it was something we were working towards and then we, we finished the project during the pandemic and now that whole archive says what is now 68 years worth of travel trade gazette content now sits online it's fully searchable for our for our members, so that's another benefit that we introduced for for TTG Plus members, and and all of that went live last uh, last September. And progress so far? Do do you see 
um, no regrets, so to speak? This is you're happy that this is the way forward for the business. Yeah, I'm. I'm very happy. This is the way forward. I think um, it's it's important that we, um, you know, that we maintain um, that and 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 we grow that. And um, we we've, you know, if I'm honest, you know, we've uh, we've learned a lot along the way. And the the iteration now uh, is is a couple of steps removed from the iteration that we launched with last September. Um, and we work with uh, some outside advisors on just. Uh, honing the offer to to what we wanted to achieve but i'm i'm, I'm quite pleased with where we are actually now and, and um, i mean one of the changes um i think this is interesting and something i've talked to other publishers about though but but when when you introduce um this paid for membership paid for subscriptions you know uh, where you draw that line between the, the free to air content and the paid for content and at what point the uh, what is effectively a paywall kicks in uh, and we started quite timidly i think and that we, um, by memory, we, we allow readers to read seven stories a week on our site um, before they hit, they hit the paywall. Um, after we'd worked with, um, with some advisors, uh, we moved to a bolder position of um, only allowing five stories a month uh, before being confronted with the, uh, with the wall. Um, and that has um, certainly sped up uh, conversion. Um, and, you know, I think it was, um, you know, it wasn't an easy decision to make that, but, um, but it's proving fruitful, um, definitely. And, yeah, where we are now with members, it's, it's growing nicely. We're getting some nice group memberships in, you know, which is, uh, which is the big game changer, really. And, um, and it's a long-term game, you know, and I think going back to something you said at the beginning, James, um, you know, I'm an absolutely passionate believer in um, in the power of, that uh, being an independent publisher gives you, uh, and the freedom of that. And uh, there's quite a few decisions that that I've made and that, that my senior team have made over the past year that would have been difficult decisions going through a, a corporate business like the one I used to work for many years ago. Um, but as an independent business, where you know it's just me that owns the business. Um, you know, we have a flexibility, um, you know, a, a genuine, um, as a cliche really, but, then, you know, we're genuinely nimble in how we do business and, and have made decisions like that, quite bold decisions, um, which are paying off. And of course, the other thing, just to finish on that line of thought, the other thing about the pandemic is that um, it, it kind of encourages you to take risks, doesn't it? Um, I think, you know, life is hard. <laughs> let's not let's not make any bones about that it, you know it ain't it ain't easy and thing, things are tough and so you might as well take some risks because things are pretty tough anyway and so I, I think in that sense and for a lot of businesses you know it's, it's it's not just us we're not special in that sense you know it genuinely has hastened change because because it's given people the opportunity to to maybe make bolder steps and uh, possibly riskier steps than they would have done um, previously. Now, for, for other publishers considering a move toward the membership model, and I, I know a few are, what, what would you say, uh, if you had to boil it down to three key do's, you know, for publishers considering it, what, what would they be? Well, I think the, the first do, you know, is to talk to your market, um, is is something that, that, you know, we got a lot better at over the years. Um, consult with your market and, and not not just your most passionate supporters or, or readers of your website or magazines, but to try and consult with a broader cross-section of people in your community uh, and understanding, um, you know, what you mean to them and what you can provide for them that maybe they're not getting uh, and really get that sense of the value that you can provide them. So that, that whole piece around talking to the market is incredibly important. Um, I think secondly, um, actually the work that you do internally um, and, and looking at your counterparts in other markets is, is certainly was really interesting for us and uh, you know I wouldn't uh, I wouldn't pretend that, that, that we haven't I would absolutely compliment businesses like um, business of fashion uh, the lawyer um, you know a number of other uh, publishing membership or subscriptions businesses that we had a good look at and, and that we learned from um, so I think that's 
that's a, a real necessity to, to look around at what others are doing. And I, and I guess you know, I come back to that third point um, around um, at what point you drop your paywall and where you, where you put this wall in place. Um, it, it is tough, but with our after our experience, I would say don't be too timid. Um, you know, a, a little bit like you know we did with our magazine coming coming back with the with a monthly magazine. We wanted to be the best monthly magazine in our market. Um, a little bit like our investment in online events. Um, you know, we, we wanted to um, to ensure if we were taking these events online, we invested in a in a unique platform and wanted to make our events the best in the business. And and actually, um, you know, if you're going to do this and you've got to believe in your content and your package and, and believe that it is the best in the business and, and don't be too timid in where you place that paywall. Don't give away too much free content before you get to that paywall. You know, otherwise, other, other, otherwise, kind of what's the point, you know? But, but I, I would add, um, coming back to this point around independent publishing, it's a long-term game. You know, it, it's not something that we expect to change the world overnight. And, and it is a, a big, big pivot. There's another cliche, but it's a big pivot for a, you know, a traditional media business, controlled circulation titles, you know, it's been doing, operating with a similar, similar model for a long time. You know, it's a big switch to, to switch to paid for content. Um, but it's a really rewarding one. And, um, you know, when you, you talk about the value of your contents, um, it's it, it, and the way that everyone's mindset across the business changes as a result of being a, a subscription or membership business uh, and everybody celebrating when you get that group membership coming in uh, and and that new really solid hard recurring revenue stream that you simply didn't have uh, 12 months ago um, that's really rewarding and very galvanizing for the whole team actually yes not and i can imagine very exciting diversity and inclusion have been two of the big themes of the past 12 months obviously uh, along with the pandemic now, I think you might have been slightly ahead of the curve on this because you launched the, the TTG Diversity Charter back in 2017. Can you talk us through your thinking on diversity and for other publishers perhaps sitting on the fence on this issue, what's a business case for fully embracing it? Yeah, uh, 100%. Well, TTG's involvement with diversity goes back a, a lot further than that. And, and, and of course, diversity means different things to, to different people. Um, and I guess our... our our broader steps into diversity began in 2011, 2012, when we started working with younger people in the industry of promoting career development um, through the launch of TTG 30 Under 30 and giving younger people a real platform and travel. I mean, that, that evolved in 2015, actually, um, to the launch of TTG LGBT, um, which was our program of events and content um, around LGBT people in travel uh, and around the opportunity to sell more travel to the LGBT community. And that was uh, that was very much driven by Sophie Griffiths, who's now our, our editor, uh, who did a, a brilliant job at actually waking me up to, to the opportunities around that. So we ran networking events for LGBT people. We, we ran um, a series of seminars, annual conferences around the LGBT opportunity. And really that that evolved into the wider diversity piece. We began working on the gender side with the organization um, Every Woman. Uh, they came to us and asked us to help them launch their Every Woman in Travel Awards a few years ago. Uh, and that's become something we've been closely associated with and with other um, with other similar organizations as well, actually. Uh, and also around the area of um, ethnicity in travel uh, and representation of, of different um, backgrounds across travel. Um, and we we came to the conclusion, and uh, and this, this was borne out by research that we did with PwC as well, actually, that travel companies just, just didn't, weren't paying enough attention to diversity, that their, their senior teams in particular weren't uh, diverse and inclusive enough, uh, and often the, the best um, example of this was when you went to senior level conferences in travel. So 
This would be APTA conventions or the Institute of Travel and Tourism events. And you'd often find a very kind of homogenous, uh, quite male, quite white, quite senior audience. Uh, and, and anyone in travel that goes to these events would recognize that. So we wanted to put that on the table, um, which we did in 2017, 2018, um, with the Diversity Charter and getting uh, companies to, to sign up to the principles around operating in the most diverse and inclusive way that they could. Uh, and then through the launch of the One Day Diversity and Inclusion in Travel conference that we ran at the QE2 Centre in Westminster in, uh, in 2019. Um, but the, the underlying theme there um, w was simply that the best businesses um, are the most diverse businesses and only those successful, you know, only businesses that truly reflect their customer base can be truly successful. Um, and, and that was a really key point that we've been promoting hard in travel. And I think it applies to publishing as well. And, and I think and I imagine a lot of people, you know, listening to this from publishing companies would recognize that publishing and, and media, you know, are not necessarily very, it's not necessarily a very diverse and inclusive business sector. Um, and, you know, and, and that's a challenge, you know, ensuring that our own teams are as diverse as possible. Our own teams are as reflective of our communities as they can be. And that we um, actually have a responsibility as, as media businesses to be um, you know, promoting a, a more diverse way of doing business. And, I, and I'll just give one example around that, um, you know, and, 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 and it's very easy for us to say, well, you know, when we recruit, when we recruit journalists, for example, we only ever see um, white uh, journalists. You know, we don't see very uh, much, um, much variation in the people applying for jobs often. You know, they're, they're from nice middle class backgrounds and they, they may have been supported through that period of unpaid work experience, you know, which I was fortunate enough to have at the beginning of my of my career. Um, and, you know, the, the best thing that we can do as, as media businesses is, is think about how we can recruit differently and um, how we can engage people at different levels and, you know, how we can recruit um, young people, maybe from different backgrounds. Um, and, and of course, if you always recruit in the same way, you're always going to get the same results and you're always going to see the same sort of people. Um, but just as, a, as an example of what we've done at TTG Media, um, we've reached out to local schools in Southwark, um, where we're based. And we've got involved in a couple of careers conferences where we've been looking to engage young people in those areas. Um, you know, that, that would not be considering media and or, or even travel, actually, um, as, as career paths and trying to get those people from different backgrounds really interested in working in the media. Um, and it's an incredibly rewarding thing to, to get involved with. Uh, and it's quite a difficult thing to get involved with during, during the pandemic. But, you know, that, that predated the pandemic. We've been involved with a couple of virtual events at schools um, in the past year, and we intend to carry on that work. Um, you know, there's a couple of people on my team um, who, who you know, really feel about that particularly passionately. One is Mary Ann Pickford, our, our, our brilliant sub-editor, is really, really engaged with that topic. And, um, you know, we will be doing a lot more in that space to really broaden the perception of, of media and travel um, to more diverse backgrounds going forward. Well, will it, will it, will it sounds like a very exciting and comprehensive approach. Um, and from the sound of things, it, it makes both business sense and is, you know, the right thing to do anyway. Yeah, it's 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 important to, you know, not just uh, put on conferences about this topic, but actually take steps ourselves and do everything that we can um, in this area. So, um, yeah, it, it, nothing changes overnight. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really keen to develop this and, and actually see some of those links with local schools result in some of those people, you know, you know, ultimately joining us as interns, uh, you know, joining the business. You know, that's where, uh, you know, I, I'd love to be challenged on that. It's all very well for me to be pontificating about this now. But um, I hope to be able to say to you, James, in a couple of years that actually this has resulted in, in these people now working for the business. Excellent. Well, watch this space. So, mm. so what's, in, what's in the pipeline for TTG? What, what do you think the business will look like in a few years time? Sure. Well, there's um, looking back on the evidence of the last eight years since I took over the business, um, there is another 
hell of a roller coaster ride ahead. Um, but I, I would say a further strengthening of this business. I mean, like, like I said at the earlier on, uh, I think it's those businesses which um, emerge stronger from from COVID. You know, will be will have a great platform to continue to develop. You know, as we go on, uh, and, and in many respects, we're closer to our community. Than we've than we've ever been, and we have a closer understanding of, of the requirements of our community. You know, in, in terms of the the mix of uh, of a modern media business, uh, you know, we've made a fundamental shift there in terms of going from a weekly magazine to a monthly magazine. Um, that's that's not going to change now. That's that's where we are. That's who we are, and we still believe passionately in print publishing, sitting at the in the middle of the business. Uh, and actually, you know, being the link that promotes um, everything else that we do as well. You know, I do expect um, a, a storming back to, to live events. I think there is a, a big demand for this in travel. And actually, you know, we are taking a very bold step this month uh, in launching our new awards program, the Travel Industry Awards by TTG, uh, which is launching this month, and we are actively planning our awards ceremony at Magazine London, so a new warehouse uh, type event space uh, on September the 30th uh, this year. Uh, and we expect that period to be a busy period, a very busy period for live events. So we'll we'll continue to to develop in that space, uh, and of course we'll continue to develop the the membership business that I spoke about earlier. Um, all the while maintaining um, the, you know, an area of free content, uh, which does include the magazine, actually, which remains free to our to our qualifying readers. But also, there's 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 one other area that we haven't really touched on in this in this interview, but it's our our business purpose. Um, you know, and TTG exists very clearly um, to promote a smarter, better, fairer travel industry, and that's a position that we set out a couple of years ago. When we, we redesign the business, and um, you know that you know that mindset where we won't do anything unless it helps us promote a smarter, better, fairer travel industry has already led us to some some strong developments um, over the past couple of years, and I expect that to take us into new areas as well as we, as we move ahead. So I must ask, I mean, it's, there's a strap line which you've had for a few years, I know, and a lot of thought went into it. What what was the reason for for, for that strap line? Well, it's, it's quite simple, really. We did. I mentioned earlier some research that we did at the beginning of 2019. So we, we spoke to over a thousand people in our market about um, whether we were still relevant for them, what, what sort of job we could do for them. We also did a lot of work internally um, and, and that external voice fed into our internal work, which led to us finding our business purpose. And we, we started with why. Um, I'm sure many people are familiar with a book by Simon Sinek called Start With Why. And it sets out how it's those businesses that have a, a clear purpose, a higher purpose, if you like, rather than simply selling magazines or, or selling events, um, but are trying to do something more and more of an infinite goal that they're working towards. How it's those businesses that history shows us that, that truly succeed. Uh, and that helped us arrive at this position for smarter, better, fairer travel. So TTG exists to promote a smarter industry. So an industry in which we can uh, help people, um, give people the tools and all the information that they need to do the very best job that we can. Uh, we promote a, a better industry, one in which we help the industry and everyone within it raise their standards and strive for higher goals. And um, we promote a fairer travel industry, one in which uh, people are fairer both to each other uh, and to the environments uh, and to the customer. Uh, and all of those principles underpin everything that we do. And um, I would I would say having such a clear purpose, it, it very much helps us as a team know what we're doing and what we're working towards. It's actually been pretty helpful for recruitment as well. And it's a, it's a nice position very clear position that um, it makes me very happy when we interview people and people recognize that and people are attracted by that. And I'd go so far as to say, you know, it, it's an essential for for a business to have a clear purpose like that if you want to attract the best and brightest young people in media for the future. If you look at the direction of travel um, for the B2B sector as a whole, I think we probably touched on some of the, the key trends. And what would you say are the 
the most significant trends affecting the whole business to business publishing sector? Yeah, there's there's the kind of obvious things like the, the move away from from print. Um, now, I, I would say, and I would say this as an independent publisher with, with smaller overheads and less financial pressures, but I, I think some businesses have been too hasty to ditch their print titles and go online only. I think print does give you a, a real tangible reference point with your community, with your audience, that um, when you're a website and you're, you know, you're one click away from oblivion, um, if that's all you have, you know, I, I think um, I think that's a, that's a challenge. And, you know, so I, 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 there is that trend away from print. But, um, I, you know, I, I, I would passionately advocate for businesses to think about, you know, very, very carefully before doing away with print, even if it's not delivering that much of a contribution to your business. Um, when overall, again, as as, uh, as you mentioned, we touched on the move towards membership and paid for subscriptions. Um, I think, you know, what's happened in the past year, not just in our sector, but in, in every sector, you know, there's that saying when the uh, when the tide goes out, um, it's clear who's been who's been swimming naked uh, and who. who <laughs> it's yeah, a lovely image. <laughs> well, yeah, sorry to leave you with that one, but um, but but. But yeah, it's it's during the difficult times that, that really force us all to you know to examine ourselves and see what we actually what we actually have got. And uh, I, you know, I, I think um, I talk quite a bit there about the benefits that we that we offer to to our paid for members of TTG Plus. You know what? You know, the most important thing that we offer to our members of TTG Plus is our content. You know, is our award winning content our um, up-to-the-minute analysis and you know which, which really you know other than, than one or two close competitors is unrivaled in our business sector in the UK and Ireland you know and I'm sure that's true for many other B2B communities you know before you can talk about the value of, of, of the consumer market um, you know and I think B2B publishers really need to put a value on that you know and and, and you know maybe collectively we can't operate collectively um, uh, but but you know wake up to the fact that, that there is a huge value to what we do and none of us should be underselling ourselves, you know, particularly at a time of huge change right now. Uh, and finally, Daniel, um, outside of work, a, qu a question we ask all our podcast guests, how do you relax? Yeah, I, I was asked this recently by, by someone else, actually. So, so we actually run one of many things we've done over the past year that I haven't touched on, actually, is a, is a campaign we launched called Get Travel Talking. Uh, whereby we urge everyone in the industry to uh, to take a pledge to do positive actions for their mental health, you know, to ensure that they're taking time out. You know, this this was led by uh, Tom Parry, uh, one of our, our, our reporters, done an amazing job on this and engaging the industry in this area of mental health and getting everyone to take it seriously. So so we encourage, encourage people in our industry to do that. And we made a pledge as a team as well to make a pledge for our mental health. And, and the thing that I pledged to do to really, um, to really create that space for myself was to learn to play the violin. Um, and I, I'd never learned an instrument in my whole life. Um, and I turned 50 last December and, and I've got a series of goals for my 50s and one of which is to master a musical instrument. Um, so I am learning to play the violin and, and that has given me a bit of space, although it, um, it does wake my baby daughter up sometimes, which is another, another cause for concern. But um, but yeah, that, I mean that leads me to the to the second thing. It's it's my family. I've got, I've got three amazing kids. Um, my, my son Sam's at university in, in Bristol. Um, my daughter Alessia is eighteen and doing her A levels. Um, or or you know, however they're doing the A levels this year. Uh, and I have my little daughter Scarlett, who is just ten months old. Um, as wow, well. there's back, back to nappy a, changing after an eighteen year gap. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, and, and, and sleepless nights, I should say. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but they, they, they're a fabulous distraction, and um, a lot of my energy goes there. And I, and I think having, having a family, um, you know, really does feed into your working life as well, because ultimately, you know, you don't just want to do the very best job you can for for your work family, but but you know, you want to make your your kids proud of you, and my wife proud of proud of me as well. Um, so that that is another focus for me too. Daniel Pierce, thank you very much for being our guest on the In Publishing podcast. 
Thank you for the opportunity, James. Thanks. It's been great. We would like to thank Advantage CS again for sponsoring this podcast. Advantage CS has been developing subscription management solutions for the information industry since 1979. The comprehensive functionality, adaptability, and scalability of its software helps leading publishers around the world manage their businesses more effectively. Find out more at AdvantageCS.com. Many thanks to Daniel for giving us an in-depth look at how TTG has tackled the challenges of the past 12 months and their plans for the future. His emphasis on quality and doing things to the best of their ability shines through. If you want to know more about TTG Media, then check out their website at ttgmedia.com. Although be prepared to register because I think they've bought that paywall forward since we did the interview. Good for them. You can also follow Daniel on Twitter, where his handle is at Daniel Pierce. If you want to know more about us, then our website is inpublishing.co.uk and our email address is editorial at inpublishing.co.uk. Thank you for listening and do join me in two weeks' time for another In Publishing podcast. Bye for now.